Okay, good. We're going to finish off our little mini-series tonight in Romans 8. So hopefully this has been a good study for you, even though we've taken a couple of breaks. Uh, keep reviewing it. Don't lose your momentum in it. Such good material. So let me, uh, let me pray for us tonight, and we will get started. Oh, Father, I'm convinced of really just one thing tonight, that uh, I am not able to articulate um, or teach this chapter the way it needs to be taught. But I am convinced of this, that your Spirit is. And so I pray that your Spirit would take your Word and communicate it to our minds and to our hearts, to our spirits, and would you teach, personally teach, each and every person who's here tonight, who may watch this in the future, uh, you please communicate to them so that it won't be um, something far off that they can't grab a hold of, but it would be something very, very close and inside and precious uh, that uh, would help them um, in their Christian walk. Uh, we need you. And so we begin tonight in a chapter that uh, deals with you, Holy Spirit, asking you for your teaching ministry of your word to your people, please. And we ask you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Those who've crossed the river have settled the answers to three questions and then live in light of those answers. First, how does God see me really as justified with all its attendant privileges? Peace now, peace with God now, and glory to come. Justified. Peace with God now and glory to come. If you happen to get through chapter 8, you saw that at the end of chapter 8. So how does God see you right now justified? And he's going to bank on that in chapter 8 when he starts talking about the Spirit. The Spirit comes to those who are justified, and so these things go together. So how does God see you? How does he see me? If you are truly in Christ, he sees you the way you are, as justified. Well, how do I overcome deliberate sin? And hopefully, uh, if you've picked up that horrible, awful book, Respectable Sins, you know what I mean by deliberate. Um, you all are guilty of a lot of deliberate sin. I've managed to get past most of it in my life. <laughs> Except for pride and all those kinds of things. So, uh, <laughs> arrogance... Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Elder. <laughs> so how do I overcome deliberate sin? And we talked about know, reckon, and yield. Uh, what do I need to know or what do I need to be reminded of? But I need to know something. And then I need to count on it. I need to reckon it as true like an accountant. Two plus two equals four. This adds up. And so I need to reckon on certain things, that I reckon the Word of God is true beyond what I feel or think 
or my previous experience has been, I have to reckon that this is more true than any of those things. And then, since, not if that's true, since that's true, then I yield myself to the work of the Holy Spirit, and He does His good work in me and through me. Chapter 7, but our default, as Paul points out, is to start creating to-do lists. And we looked at last time keeping do's and don'ts don't work, or doesn't work. Keeping do's and don'ts doesn't work. Doesn't work. Yeah. Oh, look, I have it right there. Keeping do's and don'ts doesn't work. But that's what we default to because in Adam, we, were, we have built-in list generators. And we have built-in self-effort. And so chapter 7, Paul says, now wait a minute, you're justified. In chapter 6, you're united with Christ, and His crucifixion and burial and resurrection is yours. You're so united with Him, and now you think, chapter 7, in your own self-effort, you're now going to walk in a manner that's pleasing to God. No, (laughs) rethink, not true. And so we're waiting for chapter 8, it's the big climax, how then do we walk in a manner pleasing to the Lord? Because remember in chapter 7, anything we got from Adam isn't going to help us in our new life. We talked, we've talked before several, several of these times with, this is the big tall fence in between where I used to live, the old Bill, owner being Satan, the ruler was sin, me, I am in Adam. What power was at work in my life? Sin exercised its authority and power over me as Adam's child, and it led me to commit sins and led me to spiritual death and separation from God. When I was a child of Adam, I couldn't not sin. I couldn't not sin. I didn't have to do the most heinous sins, but I couldn't not sin. When Christ found me, I trusted Christ. He brought me over to a new place. I have a new spiritual address. I have a new owner, if you will, God, a new ruler, is grace, no longer sin in the person of Jesus Christ. I am now in Christ rather than in Adam. The power at work at me in me is no longer under the authority and power of sin, but under grace and the Spirit. And both of these things, all of these things working together, draw me, draw me to obedience and draw me toward Christ toward righteousness, and toward holiness. We talked about they, they draw me away from the wall. I want to keep moving to the right, away from the wall, because Jesus is over there. And we talked about a relationship with Him. That's what I'm drawn to, is my relationship with Him. So living in the promised land, a few other things just by way of review. The flesh, self-help, is a slave to sin and is incapable of obeying God ever. Paul will talk about that in chapter 8. 
Self-help will not help. In fact, the flesh under the influence of sin can only and will only always produce death. I apologize. My English teachers taught me way better than this, but I'm trying to emphasize some things. The flesh under the influence of sin can only and will only always produce death, even for the believer. Paul says you can fix your mind on the flesh or you can fix your mind on the spirit. Remember that from chapter 8? You say, oh, wait, I, I'm not going to die. No, no. But you're not helping yourself. You're doing things that used to lead to death. Why are you doing those things? Remember that, that book, that book of your life closed and a new book was opened. This book over here this is the way you used to live. The book that got opened over here is the way we should be living, which is consistent with who we now are. Why would you go back and live in volume one? Why would you do that? I don't know. I don't seem to have any trouble doing that. But why would I do that? That's Paul's, Paul's going, why would you do that? Oh, gosh, Paul, because maybe I'm just not like you. <laughs> but that's the struggle. But the flesh will only and always produce death. Surely the believer can never grow then. You feel that conundrum that Paul is leading you up to? I long for what I'm unable to make happen, but I increasingly long for it. Oh, bummer, dude. I wish that's, if Paul would have written, bummer, dude, I'd be tracking with him. But that's not what he writes. Paul says, no, we've received new life and a new empowerment for living from the Holy Spirit. We haven't seen or heard much of the Holy Spirit in these three chapters up until chapter 8. Chapter 8 is his chapter. We're about to come to the answer. Chapter 8, the Holy Spirit of God. Chapter 5, we looked at justification. The penalty is paid. We have a new position. Christ died for us. That brought, the, with the new position came new, a new standing and new privileges. Chapter 6, we learned we died with Christ to sin. We are now so united with Christ, co-crucified, co-buried, co-resurrected. We are so united with Christ, we have ceased to be who we were, and we are now this new creation in Christ. So we died because we died we died to sin as being our master anymore. I don't have to listen to him even though he still yells at me over the wall. I don't have to listen to him anymore. Chapter 7, all talking about the power being broken, the power of sin being broken in our progress rather than our position. Chapter 7, we died to the law. The law was never able to save anyone. But the law is not, it's not made to make someone holy but in the hands of the Spirit of God, it can do that very thing. But it has to be in the hands of the Spirit of God. Why? Because my flesh will only always ever 
just produce death. And as soon as the law gets a hold of my flesh, it's in here. As soon as the law gets a hold of this, it takes me back into volume one. I know this is review. I know I'm going slowly, but I want, I, we've got to get this. So chapter eight, ugh, your frustration should have been growing. How can I live the way I want to live or God wants me to live? Urgh. And Paul says, here we go. Chapter eight, we're going to walk through it. It's the same thing you read in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. And if you're looking for a scripture memory verse to start a scripture memory program on, Galatians 2.20 is a wonderful place to start. I have been, what does Paul say? I have been, past tense, right? Remember, see my English teacher, here's how well she taught me, or all my English teachers. So past perfect, there's a past action that has present results. I have been crucified with Christ, and I, Paul says, no longer live. Well, Paul, you're living right there. <laughs> I no longer live. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul's life was so wrapped up in his relationship with Christ that he could say, I no longer live. It is the Spirit of Christ who lives in me who's living. That's, that's an amazing statement, <laughs> one worthy of our meditation. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. Christ lives in me. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Amazing. Chapter 8, we have to walk in the Spirit and we will be transformed by the Spirit. So tonight's big idea, cleverly enough, walk in step with the Spirit. We're going to take a look at the Holy Spirit's ministry. Chapter 8, the justified have the privilege and obligation to walk in step with the Spirit. For the same reasons that I've been talking about, volume one is closed, or your old address is no longer working. God has brought you over here to volume two. He's placed you in a new land called grace instead of this land over here that was called sin. He's moved your address. He's changed you. You are no longer who you were. You have the privilege now of walking in the Spirit, but we also have the obligation to walk in the Spirit because this is who we really are now. So we need to walk according to the Spirit because He is our identity. I no longer walk like this. I have no more obligation over here in this land. I only have obligation now to who I am new in Christ. Does this make sense? Okay, this will be on the final, so make sure you're getting it. So we have the privilege and obligation to walk in step with the Spirit. Why? Verses 1 through 4, because of what God has done for us. Verses 1 through 4, 
What a wonderful verse. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. What has the Spirit done? Jesus, death, burial, and resurrection, justified me. The Spirit has done what? Broken my bondage. It says, He has freed me from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent His own Son in a body or in um, flesh like ours, except it wasn't sinful, in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving His Son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. You've been justified. You've also been empowered. Jesus did this part. The Spirit does this part. Jesus frees me, and because of His death, burial, and resurrection, I am justified. Therefore, I stand at peace with God. Therefore, there is now no condemnation because of what we're going to start talking about. Your first thought is going to be, oh, gee, I'm in big trouble. You're not in big trouble. You've been justified, and you are at peace with God. And he says, now, don't live this way anymore. Live this way. And the Spirit has come and, in fact, indwells you to empower you to live the life God wants you to live. Okay. There is no condemnation from God in our struggle. There is new empowerment through His Holy Spirit. There's no more bondage to the law. We're freed from it as a way of acceptance, but obliged to keep it as a way of holiness. The law of God has always reflected what God says is right. We haven't been able to live up to it. Guess what? We still can't, even as a Christ follower. But someone can, the Holy Spirit. And so He has to live it out through us. Just let that sink in. New progress in holiness is there for us as we follow the Spirit. All right, what does that mean? The Spirit, in the next set of verses, 5 through 14, He talks about uh, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. Okay, so pause right there. No hand raising. Where does your mind go most in any given day? Where does my mind go? in any given day. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. 
So, letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Do you believe that? Life and peace. Do you believe that saying, yielding to the Spirit who's saying no to sin is life and peace? These are the questions that you have to start asking yourself, and you have to be honest. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And then he's, he gives a little parenthesis. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. And Christ lives within you. What? He's been talking about the Spirit, and now He interchanges Christ. One and the same. Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you've been made right with God. What has been, if you want to say it this way, what has been redeemed so far? Our spirits. What is yet to be redeemed? Our bodies. When do we get those? When we pass through that doorway. Part of what we're looking forward to is a body without sin, without the sinful nature. This thing that continues to vex us. One day it will be gone. Hallelujah. We die. And then the rest of us will be redeemed. Let's see, where was I? Let's see, die because the Spirit of God is The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the... Di what? Did you hear that? But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature. Do's and don'ts. Doesn't work. Who can kill it? The Holy Spirit can kill it. It's called mortification. Who can do it? The Spirit of God can. Can you and I do it? We cannot. Why? Because we still are constrained by this flesh that is fighting against God. There's a, if you, there's a holy resource, the Holy Spirit, but there's also a holy war. Our flesh is still fighting God. Our mind wants to do what God wants, but our flesh says, uh-uh, no way. No way. So there's a holy resource and a holy war. Maybe you've felt that from time to time. Yeah, that was funny. 
I'll prompt you when there's actually a joke like that. (laughs) For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. Now we call Him Abba, Father. There's the fear. You're justified. You live at peace with God. There is no condemnation for you in this struggle. Have you struggled with this before? No hands, no voices. If you've struggled with this before, there are times when you could say, man, God must not be happy with me. I know you think that because I thought the same thing. What do I have to know? It's not true. I've been justified. What do I have to reckon? (laughs) The God's Word is more true than what I think, what I feel, or my past experience. So I have to yield and say, okay, there's no condemnation for me. Daddy, what do I need to do? Well, if you'll confess your sins, I'll take care of it. If you agree with me, we can still work on this. This is the patience of your father and my father. He knows. uh, Let me tell you, you think you know where your sins are and how deep they are? You have no idea, and neither do I. It's like an iceberg. Uh, Respectable sins can highlight the little part that's above the waterline, but there's this gigantic part (laughs) that's below the waterline that you and I can't even see or haven't even realized. And God says, you know, you're worried about this part. I know this part. And there's no condemnation. I love you. You're justified. You're mine. You're my son. You're my daughter. Ready to get back to work? Yep. Ready to get back to work. Unbelievable who our God is and how we should worship Him daily. Not just for patience, but for forgiveness, for mercy, for grace. He continues to pour it out on us day after day, time after time. The flesh as a root will always produce death. That's what Paul's been talking about. The spirit as a root will always produce life as a fruit. So root and fruit. Difference, uh, do you remember when Jesus is talking about um, 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 I'm the vine and you're the branches. And he says, you know, um, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. And if you didn't think about that very long, you went, oh, okay. You don't produce fruit. You bear fruit. Who's producing the fruit? The root. Who is the root? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's life is flowing through you like a tree, and all you and I do is bear the fruit that He is producing. We don't produce fruit. We cannot produce fruit. We can only bear fruit from our connection 
to him and in him. The Spirit will use his resurrection power to enable us to bear the fruit of life from the inside out as we fix our mind, back to Romans 12, 1 and 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. By fixing your mind, remember what no, consider, present, no, what do we need to know? On things that please Him. Paul goes on in 15 through 17, short little part, and he reminds these Christians that they are gods. He says, uh, we now call him Abba Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. And then he, he contrasts present suffering for future glory, and he's not making a comparison a comparison, he's making a contrast in this. He's like, yeah, we're going to suffer now, but it's nothing compared to the glory that's going to be revealed. And then he starts going through this whole thing on nature and all this stuff, and you go, ah, what is, what is all of this? He reminds them that they are gods, but he also, in this next section, he guarantees our inheritance So he talks about creation right now has been frustrated and not able to be all that God created it to be because of sin. Similarity to you and to me. We cannot be all we were created to be because of sin. Spirit has been redeemed. Body has not been redeemed. You can't be everything he created you to be yet, but you will be just like creation. It's coming. And so he begins guaranteeing their inheritance. Then he switches over in 26, and he says, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Good, because that's me most of the time. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. Has that ever happened to you? But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father, who knows all hearts, knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. Charles Spurgeon writes something on prayer, and he said, He he wonders if a Christian can ever offer a bad prayer. Because by the time it actually gets to the Father's ear, the Spirit and the Son have taken it and massaged it and said, Daddy, what Bill really meant to pray for was this. (laughs) And the Father says, well, that's good. (laughs) I'll give that to Bill. Instead of the sometimes garbledy gook I pray for. What a great thing. The Spirit helps me. And I think Spurgeon's right. I I love this particular section and Spurgeon's observation on it. It makes me feel so much better that if I can't offer up a bad prayer, (laughs) that's good news for me. 
He pleads in harmony with us for God's own will. And now I get a great assurance. God is going to use everything for good. Can I make a mistake in my life? Yes. Yes. Can I make some bad mistakes? Yes. Yes. But what will God do with those eventually? Turn them somehow for good. Now, I don't know what that means in every single case. But it says, we know that God, God causes some things. No. God causes all the good things that we try real hard to do to work together. No. What's the word? Everything. Does everything include maybe we make a good choice, maybe we make a bad choice? Does it include everything? I don't believe it because what I say, what does it say? If God can use everything for good, He is for me. He is helping me. And then he goes, he keeps, as if this isn't enough, he goes on 29, for God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son, okay, so now everyone, talk about election and predestination. No, I'm not going to talk about that right now, because we're talking about living by the Spirit, okay? But you need to know this about election and predestination. Um, Election is a true fact. We know that. Uh, The only thing someone is uh, predestined for is to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's what it says. And if I am elect, it's not favoritism. It's, It's just God's intention to show that He can do amazing things through people. God knew His people in advance, and He chose them to become like His Son, so that His Son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, He called them to come to Him. And have, so if you're saying, gosh, I don't know if, I don't know if God has called me, you, that's a good sign. I don't know any people who are outside of Christ who care about that question. If you're asking yourself that question, good. I mean, it's not good that you're asking that question, but if you ask yourself that question, that's a normal question because that means your salvation means something to you. To the unbelievers who live around us, they are never thinking of this question. They don't care. Hopefully that makes sense. This is kind of a reverse encouragement. For God knew His people in advance, and He chose them to become like His Son, so that His Son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, He called them to come to Him. And having called them, He gave them right standing. He justified them with Himself. And having given them right standing, He gave them His glory. Past tense, present tense, future tense. What is this tense? Having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. Do you have it? You have a provision for it. You don't have it yet, and neither do I. But it is such a certainty, God says, this is what happens. I've called you to myself. I'm going to share my glory with you. It is a done deal for God. Package deal, done. Whole thing. 
How do you get off the train? You can't. <laughs> Remember Philippians 1.6? You should look it up because that could be your second verse you can memorize. Philippians 1.6. Go ahead, I'm waiting. You have your Bibles. Some are electronic. I know you know how to use them. Philippians 1.6. What does it say? Who began the good work in me? God. Who is going to bring it to conclusion? God. <laughs> he started it, he's in the middle of it, and he's going to finish it. And that's what he says right here. I started it, I'm in the middle of it, and I'm going to finish it. It's as good as done, and you're as good as glorified. Just hold on. You're not quite there, but hold on. It's coming to you. And so he eliminates any chance of separation. He goes on, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in a place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the Scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. <sighs> Sometimes when you're, you're feeling a little down, you're feeling a little blue, maybe. <laughs> Boom. Come read at least the second half of chapter 8. God has told us in 5, 6, 7, and 8, this is what I think of you. This is what I've done for you. This is how I count you. I've so identified you with Christ. Stop your do's and don'ts. You've got to walk in the Spirit. You've got to start with be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We have to start by the renewing of our mind. What is our mind fixed on? Things of the flesh or things of the Spirit? That will become the question. Mary and Martha, where, was Mary's, where were Mary's affections directed? To Jesus. Where were Martha's affections directed? At least, at least they were split. I don't want to say it was just a to-do list. I'm sure she had affection for Jesus too, but it, it might have been split. What Mary has chosen, Jesus says, will not be taken away from her. 
that's where we've got to go. Our affections, our attention, our minds need to be focused on our relationship with Jesus. You want to know what the key is? That's the key in chapter 8. What is the Spirit's mindset on? What's the Spirit's job, right? So there's the Father. He plans everything. The Son executes, and He's done these things. What's the Spirit's job? The Spirit is like a big searchlight, and He shines a big light on Jesus. That's the Spirit's job, to highlight Jesus. Okay. What is the Spirit's mind set on? Highlighting Jesus. What is your mind set on? Is it highlighting Jesus? Those are the questions we have to start asking ourselves. Well, Bill, it's been 10 years, 20 years, 40 years, 50 years. I just haven't grown very much. Are you meditating on Jesus? Are you reading about Jesus? Are you thinking about Jesus? Are you reading the Word going, Jesus, thank you for doing this. Jesus, I don't understand what you've done here. Jesus, are you engaged in an ongoing relationship with Him? We always talk about relationship. It's so key. The few times, right, you, you can remember being in love <laughs> and early on maybe in some relationships and you're like, I got to call that person. This is back when we actually used phones and not texts and things like that. You actually called that person. Heaven forbid, you actually even drove over to their place to see them. <laughs> And you couldn't wait to spend time with them. And you couldn't wait to ask questions of them. You couldn't wait to learn more about them. They were so fascinating to you, and you were so in love. But there's no human relationship that can keep that going. But that's the relationship God has with you and the one that He wants to continue to cultivate in us. And I don't have it in me, not in my flesh, but I know someone who does, the Holy Spirit who lives in me. His mind never tires of thinking about Jesus. He knows nothing more beautiful, nothing wiser, nothing more true, more noble, more right, more pure, more lovely, more admirable, nothing more excellent or praiseworthy than Jesus. Philippians 4.8. You've got to get to know Jesus that's the answer. And God says, here's all the things I've done for you. Are you grateful? Are you, are you excited about this? Because I'm excited to spend eternity with you. Well, I don't know. It sounds kind of long and boring to me, Lord. Uh, am I going to get to play shuffleboard or what? You know, what are we going to do? I don't know. But mine is not seen nor ear heard what God has prepared for those who love him. Whatever I can think of is not the right answer because no eye has seen, no mind can conceive, no ear has heard what God has prepared for those who love him. Think of the very best thing you think it could be. It's not that. It's better because you can't conceive it. That's pretty cool because I, I got a pretty good imagination <laughs> He eliminates any chance of separation from his own prayers, which are the prayers of the Spirit, and from his own purposes. 
the Holy Spirit's ministry, the justified have the privilege and obligation to walk in step with the Spirit because of what God has done for them. The Spirit subdues or overcomes my flesh, not a to-do list that requires me and my self-effort. The Spirit joins with my renewed mind. Who gave me the renewed mind? He did. He joins with my renewed mind to do the work. That's where the Cody's talked about like the three-legged race idea. The Spirit reminds me that I am God's because this is a struggle and there are days and weeks uh, I lose way more than I win. The Holy Spirit guarantees my inheritance. It says He's the down payment. He's my down payment on what's to come. If I have the Holy Spirit, glory is coming, and it's the down payment of what God wants to share with me. Why does He want to share anything with me? I cannot answer that question except this way, because He loves me. He reminds me that I am God's. He guarantees my inheritance. He eliminates any chance of separation. God has already determined that He will finish what He started in us. Walk in step with the Spirit. Let me give you a very uh, a few statements, and I'm going to give you a model for you to kind of think through uh, as you reflect on this during the week, which is what I hope you'll do. So walking in step with the Spirit. It needs to happen from the inside out, not from the outside in. A to-do list cannot impact my heart. A to-do list can only hit my behavior. My behavior is not what's at issue. My heart is what's at issue. There is only one person, the Holy Spirit, who can get in there and do the heart surgery that needs to be done, and that's the Holy Spirit. So how do I walk in the Spirit? It has to be an inside-out job, not an outside-in job. I have never had the power to change my life and still don't, even as a follower of Christ, know, reckon, yield. I have to know this. I have to keep coming back to this. I do not have the power, even as a follower of Christ, to change my life. The only one who has the power to change me from the inside out to bring lasting change to my heart is the Holy Spirit of God. Chapter 7, what doesn't work self-effort. Chapter 8, what does work? His Holy Spirit. Great. Let me show you a model that you can think about this week. This is from a book, a 2006 book called How People Change by Paul Tripp and Timothy Lane. Um, Do I agree with everything? Nope, but this is a good model. You'll find I don't really agree with anything 100% except for the Bible. I don't agree with anything. You, you have to read things critically. You, don't, you know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? But this is a really good book and a really good model. Okay, here is the model. Here's a root, good root. Here's a bad root. Two trees. There's going to be two responses. And then there's going to be two um, products, two fruits, right? Two fruit. Fruits? Two fruit that come off two different roots, 
Okay, so one fruit, one root produces one fruit, and this root produces other fruit. Okay, this is the model, the big picture. How does it work? First, uh, there are circumstances that come into your life. Circumstances uh, could be good. Circumstances could be bad. He chooses to represent this as the sun and heat. Okay? And here's the other part of the truth we've got to get our, our minds around, is that we choose what we desire most. We choose what we desire most. I need to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. Heat comes into my life And what it does, this circumstance reveals. It does not produce what's in my heart. It reveals what's in my heart. Now, you say, well, wait a minute. How could there be anything but bad heat? Well, uh, Proverbs 27:21 said, a person is tested by the blessings he receives. When, you're, when you receive a blessing, a compliment, um, an attaboy, what's going on in your heart? What's going on in your heart? So the, the sun is shining on your heart and something is being revealed. How about some other things? Uh, difficulties, trials, temptations. James 1 talks about these different things. You know, don't say that God is tempting you because God never tempts. He tests, but He does not tempt. Difference between testing and tempting, right? Tempting is what uh, Ford does to a Chevy. They tempt it to destruction. Ford does to a Chevy. But Ford tests a Ford to show how superior it is. Okay, so testing is to prove how good it is. Tempting is to destroy it. Who is the one who's tempting us? The evil one. He's yelling at us over the wall. He continues to lie to us. God is saying, I bring tests into your life to reveal your heart because we've got to start working on this. So external situations and circumstances reveal my heart's desires or intentions. Part of this, whatever my, if you want to say my natural response, is probably going to be from Adam. And it's a consequence of a world in bondage to decay. So the heat comes into my life. You could fill in, fill in the blank on what the circumstance could be. It could be small, it could be large. But heat comes into your life. It reveals something in your heart. Now, the heart can be rooted 
in the spirit or in the flesh. If it's rooted in the flesh, then what is revealed under the heat? What does this root produce? Death, which he represents by thorns. So what am I producing? Thorns. Thorns are, you say, well, how do I know? Well, how we react reveals what we want and what we believe. What we want and what we believe, what we desire most. Uh, Ungodly behavior comes from a heart that has been captured by something other than Christ. For instance, the author of Hebrews writes, we need to discard the sins that so easily entangle. Read respectable sins. You might find one or two in there that you connect with. You may find more. For example, when I'm blocked from something I want, I get angry. When something I want is threatened, I get anxious. When something I want is taken away, I get depressed. All of these things are illustrations of thorns that are coming out of a heart that's rooted in the flesh. Let's say I discover that about myself. Uh, heat comes into my life. I respond to this person. Maybe someone has, um, um, maybe they've uh, said something mean to me. They've said something mean to me. It hurt my feelings, and I'm, I'm coming back angry. I mean, it just, bam, it's out of my mouth. Before. I haven't even thought about it. Be transformed by the renewing of my mind. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, it's already out. It's on the table. And I've already responded in an angry way. Okay? What have I just done to that person? I've, I've stuck them with thorns. Now, why have I done that? Because someone has said, hurt people, hurt people, hurt people, hurt people. When I get hurt, I'm coming back at you. And I'm going to come back maybe even stronger because I'm going to teach you, do not mess with me. You want to hurt me, I hurt you twice. So let's put an end to that. And that's self-protection. I have to begin, whoa, what is going on inside my heart? So the circumstances and then my response, my response will tell me where I'm rooted. Okay, so I respond in an angry manner. Pretend the Holy Spirit of God is living and active and working in me, and half an hour after that discussion is I'm rehearsing their wrongs to me, which I don't know what that would look like, but in case I ever did that, if I was rehearsing what the person, how they had wronged me, and the Spirit of God says, Bill, um, I'm not sure that was the right response. (laughs) You heard him, Lord. (laughs) Yeah, uh, Bill, it's not the way my children respond. 
How did my son respond? Um, well, I don't, I don't really remember. Huh, yeah, yeah, I think you do. <laughs> he, he didn't open his mouth. Oh, you want me to just sit there and take it? I don't know. My son got beaten, and he didn't open his mouth. Yeah, okay. What do I need to do? I got to go to the cross. <laughs> I got to go back to the beginning, in a sense, and say, Lord, I got to confess this. I responded in an, in not only in an inappropriate way, but a wrong way, a sinful way. And I wanted to hurt somebody who hurt me. I know, Bill. I know. And you know what? I forgive you because there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because there is peace between you and me because of the finished work of my son. We're good. We're square. Ready to begin again? Yeah, Daddy. Ready to begin again. Okay. He says, now, how should you have responded? <laughs> and so, hopefully, I would be able to walk through the Scriptures and find out how I should have responded. Then, one of two things, if that person, let's say um, that person is um, accessible to me, what should I do? I should go ask for forgiveness. Really? I should go ask for forgiveness. Okay. <laughs> what if that person isn't accessible to me? I'm going to, in my confession to God, I'm going to trust that it's taken care of. I don't have an opportunity to go ask for forgiveness. If your problem is like mine, I want, um, I don't like the journey as much as I like the destination. And so if I can just, I want to be done with anger, right? Okay, Lord, I'll never be angry again. Phew, cross that one off the list. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Part of why we get frustrated, we say, why haven't I grown? Why haven't I grown? Is because it happens at a much slower pace if it's permanent. And you may go from, um, you get angry in two seconds, then a year or two later, you get angry in five seconds. And a year or two later, you get angry in 10 seconds. It's just slow, permanent progress, which is why you say, but what if I come back for the same thing, Lord, so many times? And you should be reminded of what he tells Peter in that day. Should I forgive those who sin against me seven times? And Jesus says, 70 times 7. And if you've been with us before, you understand what Jesus is saying is there were 70 cycles of seven years that the, Israeli, the Israelites sinned the same way in the desert. So for 490 years, 70 cycles of seven, they sinned exactly the same way. And Jesus is telling Peter, Peter, 
uh, when you forgive like my father forgave your people in the wilderness for 490 years for the very same sin, let's talk. As far as I read it, if I live a long time, I live to 100. I'm not going to live to 490 years. <laughs> I can't even exhaust Jesus' example, <laughs> let alone what he's really like. He doesn't go, Bill, it's been 51 times you've been angry. Are we working on number 52? Really? Is that where we're at, Bill? You're not listening? You're not processing? Who is that? That is our enemy yelling at you across the wall. That is not Abba. That is not your father who's telling you those things. God's patience with you is just about exhausted, Bill. By the way, his grace is about to run out on you. You go, no, that's not true, but why do I behave like that then? The heat reveals if I default, I produce thorns that poke people, hurt people, all these different kinds of things. When I recognize that, maybe you have a blessed sister or brother friend who watches you're in kind of community with. They know a lot about you and they're able to go, wow, why did you just do that or say that? Well, what do you mean by that? And they're able to share truth with you. Then we got to go to the cross. We got to start over and say, How should I respond, Lord? Living in the promised land, the Christian life, the life of a justified believer is seen as being essentially life in the Spirit. That is to say, a life which is animated, sustained, directed, and enriched by the Holy Spirit. That is a great quote. Living in the promised land, when Paul writes, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, if you've come away with nothing else from this little mini-series, our transformation has to begin in our minds because this is the, the Spirit connects to our renewed mind and exerts His power over our flesh, which we are powerless to change. So even a renewed mind cannot change my flesh, but a renewed mind partnered with the Holy Spirit can overpower my flesh, and that's what I'm counting on. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So what do we need to do? Daily and intentionally fertilize your roots. You got to fertilize the roots. Fix your mind on the truth, the truth of your identity, your new identity in Christ. While you're not all you will be, you're no longer who you were. You must fix your mind on the truth, and so must I. And that also includes the truth of the person of the Lord Jesus. Then fill your mind with the truth. And those are the resources that you have. Paul writes about you should be reading your Bible, singing hymns and spiritual songs to one another, have edifying conversations, reading things that get you to think 
about Jesus in particular, sermons that help you do that, other teachings that help you do that. When you're not, um, oh, I, know, I love another thing Spurgeon says, then we're going to be done. Spurgeon says if you're not climbing up the dunghill, you're sliding back down it. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> we have to continually climb the dunghill every day because if we don't, we're going to slide back down. We have to fix our mind on the truth and we have to fill our minds with the truth. So daily and intentionally fertilizing our roots. When heat comes into your life, confess how you want to respond or how you did respond. Remember, there's no condemnation for this. Only God's forgiveness, cleansing, and empowerment. Declare again your dependence on Him to respond in truth, love, and the fruit of the Spirit. Then in faith, respond according to His truth, His love, His compassion, His grace, etc. This is what it means to walk in the Spirit. Some of you who've been through this class more than once, um, it's funny because every once in a while you'll say to me, you didn't, you didn't cover this the last time we went through this class. And I want you to be encouraged because what that means, <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> and if you have the notes, you can see it. <laughs> it changes very, very little every time I go through it, now that I'm happy with it. What's changing is you. You are changing, and you are hearing things in a different way than you did the time before. So be encouraged. Change is happening, but it's happening slowly, but it's happening permanently. And that's a great, great thing. These are the things it means to walk in the Spirit. Those who've crossed the river have settled the answers to three questions and then live in light of those answers. How does God see me, really, Romans 5, as justified, peace now and glory to come? How do I overcome deliberate sin? What do I need to know? What do I need to reckon as true? How do I need to yield to the Lord? How do I pursue holiness? It's not by do's and don'ts. It's by walking in step with the Spirit every day, which I do by fixing my mind on the truth and filling my mind with the truth about myself and about the Lord Jesus every day. Only the Holy Spirit can make us live in the promised land the way we need and want to live there. For next time, which is next week, small reading assignment. You've been getting away with one chapter at a time. Here we go, Joshua chapter 5, read all the way through 24. We will do Joshua, long section in Joshua for next time. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. I pray your spirit would take what is yours and apply it to our minds, to our hearts, and to our spirits. Would you change us, please? Uh, it is good for us, but we pray that you would be exalted and glorified. Uh, among not only human beings, but among the angelic realm, for who you are and what you have done, even for men and women like us. We love you, we exalt you, we worship you, and we thank you for all these promises and all these things that your Spirit does 
uh, in us and through us. Thank you. We love you, and we pray for all of this, please. In Jesus' name, amen.